Justice presents a 2020 perspective, electing the vice president. It's part of a series we're going to be running here on POTUS, talking about things that would play into the 2020 election. And of course, we won't be changing the system between now and the election. But Dave Blake is joining us in the studio. He's the co-founder of Vice.run. The Twitter handle is at electthevp. And the question is how we pick a vice president and whether or not that should change. First of all, welcome to the studio. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, if it, Just sort of give us a sense of where this idea came from. Yeah, really what drew me in is these hyper-partisan times. And in times of divided government, we see the vice presidency really get exposed. And in divided times, the vice presidency really matters. So that's sort of what drew me in. The vice presidency didn't matter when it first was a part of our country. Basically, whoever got the most electoral votes became president. Whoever came in second became vice president. John Adams was the first vice president. wasn't really crazy about it. He wanted a grand exalted title. didn't happen. It's been compared by some unkindly as, uh, the, you know, a warm bucket of piss. I mean, that was the actual phrase, not a, a warm bucket of spit. Yep. That said, the nature of the vice presidency has changed over time. Uh, so understanding that there's partisanship, the one function that we know is guaranteed in the Constitution is that the vice president becomes the tie-breaking vote. Correct. So yep. where where do we see the partisanship in a vice president now where it is worse than it was, say, under, say, Dwight Eisenhower or something? Yeah, I mean, the, the office really has evolved. And so there's a little history and in, in as we look at that. But right now, when we are divided, when our two-party system's working together, we don't see that many tie-breaking votes come up. Right now, Mike Pence, in his two years in change, has already cast more tie-breaking votes than any vice president since 1841. And so we see that in these divided times, a lot of our decisions and legislation falls to the vice president, and none of us chose Mike Pence. You know, it's an office that matters in these divided times, and we have a 12th Amendment right to elect the vice president, but... Because of time and tradition, we are no longer able to sort of really exercise that that right to this office. But people did select the president. And again, constitutionally, in, if you have that 50-50 tie and your sort of tie goes to the president or to the executive, I guess, and because he's got almost as much in, in the Congress, you know, in the Senate. I mean, one thinks about, all right, suppose we had had a vice president who was a Republican under Barack Obama and there had been a tie-breaking vote on, uh, on uh, the issue of, say, Obamacare. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, okay, how would the country have reacted then? Is like our president has been turned down because his vice president has voted against him. Yeah, I mean, just what you said. This, you know, you said the tie-breaking vote goes to the executive. Well, it wasn't supposed to be that way. Our founding fathers, and having to anticipate all the ways that this democracy might break, they had to give us these checks and balances. And as they were anticipating a divided America, they vested that tie-breaking vote, that power elsewhere than the presidency. And it was meant to be one of the checks and balances in divided times. And that tie-breaking vote is supposed to be a chance for we, the people, to decide in those those tie-breaking votes, to have a representative. It's not supposed to go to the president or the president's party. And, and things have changed over time because at one time senators were elected by state legislatures. That doesn't happen anymore either. Yeah. All right. Well, talk about the idea that, as we've talked about, you know, you look at this vice president, Mike Pence, and then, of course, before that, Joe Biden, and before that, Dick Cheney, uh, Al Gore. They've all had a much closer relationship to the president than some previous vice presidents have had. And you, do you take Harry Truman's a great great example because when he took over 
it was just months after the election, and when Franklin Delano Roosevelt died, he wasn't in, that is, Harry Truman was not in the loop with a lot of different things, including the Manhattan Project. And part of that was because there had been a different vice president for the previous terms of President Truman, I mean, I mean President uh, Roosevelt. So I guess the question is, how much would that perhaps be compromised, the ability to take over, if the president feels separated from his vice president by a partisan divide and therefore does not want to either share strategy or thoughts that might have to do with national security, but also would have some political implications. So talk about that. Yeah. I mean, you name all of our most recent vice presidents and you're right. They are all living through sort of the Walter Mondale um, version of the vice presidency, where the power in the vice presidency is really in the proximity to the president, how close they are. And we saw with Dick Cheney, perhaps, you know, um, a corruption of that model and just how much influence he was able to exert. And the Walter Mondale uh, model is a good model, but we shouldn't let good be the enemy of better or of great or of meeting the needs of our time. And so it's a model of the vice presidency. What we're calling for at Vice.run is really a new model of the vice presidency, one of unifier in chief. We don't have to stick with the Walter Mondale version of the vice presidency forever. I think the role is uniquely suited to being able to bring people together from both sides of the aisle. And right now in this moment in history, that's more of what we need, I believe, than anything else. And I think if we put that to the American people, I think they would agree. And we're not trying to kick Walter Mondale around either. Uh, (laughs) uh, Again, uh, we have David Blake with us. Uh, Dave is co-founder of Vice.run. So talk about how you're trying to do this, because obviously, um, you know, this is not a simple thing to change. uh, And and specifically the strategy moving forward to get this to reality. Yeah, it's a 50-state grassroots movement. And really the good news about this is, is relative to other reforms that we see called for, reforming the Electoral College, well, that would take a new amendment, and that is a mountain. Well, we already have the 12th Amendment, so this is already our truth. We already have the right to elect the vice president. The office is already independent from the vice presidency. The Electoral College already votes independent and separately on the vice president. The one thing that has to change is the ballot. When we went to vote in 2016, there was one checkbox for Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine, one checkbox for Trump and Mike Pence. In 2020, we want to be able to vote, as the 12th Amendment calls for, with a distinct list, a distinct ballot, vote for the president, and then vote separately for the vice president. Would every state have to comply for this to be Yeah, really, legal? to get this done, we've got to get it done across the states. The good news is, is that ballot access laws already reflect the 12th Amendment and have provisions for how an unaffiliated vice president can seek the ballot. And so that's really the laws that we're pointing at and using. And we've got to gather signature pledges state by state with those thresholds that each state sort of articulates. And, and OK, so you're basically having to work through the states. Is it different in each state? I mean, do you have different secretaries of state, different policies? How how does that work? Oh, you've been on this for a while, right? Yeah, different thresholds in every state. And so if you add up all 50 states, the signature thresholds required, it's 865,000 signatures across the country. That's still a big task, but it's relatively um, a light task. It takes more signatures than that to get a ballot initiative on the ballot in California. So, you know, relatively, this is something we can achieve inside the cycle. But then it goes to every state, to the secretary of state to then, you know, determine how they will walk that forward. Does the secretary of state have to determine whether or not it is going to go forward? Is that a decision that he or she will make individually or is it something that has to have a hearing? How does it work? Yeah, I mean, we really are using laws that are on the books, and so they should be um, really they should be complying with those ballot access laws. But yes, it will fall to secretaries of state to determine how to. What has the response the been to this point? 
Yeah, we launched the website last week, and it's been fantastic. We've got signature pledges in all 50 states. We've started our uh, dollar, low-dollar donation grassroots um, fundraising, and it's uh, really energetic. People, once they realize that this is a right that we have as Americans in the Constitution— and now we've lost it to time and tradition. Yeah, people get fired up. I know you you, you quote a national poll of registered voters, 53% prefer, prefer a more democratic approach to the election of the VP than the current process. One wonders, though, is that in the context of this particular administration? Has polling been done on this prior to this? Yeah, you know, we haven't uh, done any polling. Obviously, this is just a new initiative. So we've done it inside the the last year. But as you do look at, you know, there's a New York Times op-ed that we found from 20 years ago. You know, there was a research done at Yale University um, about similarly about 20 years ago. You know, this is a question anyone who's looked at the vice presidency seriously realizes that there is no constitutional claim to how we do things today. Our presidential nominees, they have no claim to this office. This office is ours. We the people. And the way we are doing things is really this sort of corruption that's evolved over time of, of how we're electing this office. You know, voting isn't what gives us freedom. It isn't what gives us a democracy. Choice. You know, Stalin held elections. Unless we are able to choose between candidates, you know, we really don't have freedom in our elections. And this is 50 percent of our federal um, elected officials. And right now we don't have a say in who we're electing. And it does matter. And to go back to the point you said earlier, you know, one in five of our presidents ascended to the presidency through the vice presidency. And, you know, that's one in five. We should have a say in who the vice president is because they might end up as president. I wonder if anyone were to, if you were to do a poll now and say, like, would you have voted for Hillary Clinton and, uh, uh, you know, Mike Pence uh, or Donald Trump and Tim Kaine? I can't imagine anyone who would have done that. No, I don't actually either. But I think once we open up this office to be sought for and people can run for it directly, I think we get better candidates. I think we see people bring ideas to the forefront and people will have to be better vetted to be vice president. So in other words, you think that the way that this would actually evolve over time is that you would have a presidential election, you'd have a simultaneous vice presidential campaign. So people would actually be out there campaigning to be in second, the second in command. They yeah. wouldn't be, you know, and maybe failed presidential candidates would get involved in that, or would they have to be failed presidential candidates? Yeah, I mean, you know, if we're being honest, we know people are running for the vice presidency right now already. You know, I mean, but there's just no swim Who's lane that? to do it. <laughs> you know, so or or at least possibly becoming vice possibly right, becoming, right, yeah. Right, right. You know, and so, um, yes, that's it. And because of the electoral college, I'll say this, which is the getting that cross party um, president and vice president has a fairly high bar that you'd have to clear because people would have to vote in that combination and they would have to do so in a plurality of states. Mm -hmm. And so you have to sort of give place for if people are voting in that cross-party magic combination in a plurality inside a single state and then in a plurality across many states, you have to give place. If the American people want that combination for some particular reason because of the ideas those candidates have brought forward, you know, that's democracy. So I just want to clarify. So the president would still be determined by the Electoral College, but the vice president would be determined by popular vote? By the Electoral College. We would just have the ability on our ballot to express, you know, who we want as that candidate. And then the vice presidential electors would vote for them in the Electoral College. So in other words, you might have somebody in one state winning the presidency with the Electoral College votes, and then the other, another person would win the vice president in that state with the Electoral College. Yes. That'd be a strange thing. Are you going to have two separate sets of electors? 
Yeah, I mean, the 12th Amendment really gives it to the states to determine how uh, the electors get decided. But yes, the, the president, as we vote for president, they would send electors to the Electoral College. And then as we vote for vice president, they would send electors to the Electoral College. Mm. And uh, have you at this point gotten to the state um, secretaries of state level and, and that sort of drilling down kind of thing? Not yet. We're gathering signatures. Anyone can go to vice.run to pledge or to donate. We are gathering signatures nationwide, again, in those thresholds that we need state by state. As we get each state's threat threshold of pledges, that's when we intend to uh, go to the secretaries of state and to have the discussion about how they intend to deal with it in 2020. I'm assuming that people have to be registered voters when they yes. when they register. And they, this is for each individual state. They would be registering for a particular state. Yeah. Where's, um, your, where's the biggest reaction come from? Yeah, I mean, I'm a native Utah, and Utah is actually one of the lower threshold states for ballot access. And so we started there. And so mm-hmm. we're after a month, we're just about nearing our signature threshold in Utah. And then we intend to take it to uh, Wisconsin and Iowa, Nashville, Idaho, um, in Minnesota next. Wow. Well, keep us posted on this. We will continue to watch. I appreciate it. Thanks All so right. much. Vice.run is the website. Dave Blake, our guest in the studio, co-founder of Vice.run, a way to get the vice president elected by a direct vote as opposed to just being part of a pair on the ballots around the country. Vice.run, again, the website. You can also check out Twitter at elect the VP, at elect the VP.